I hear birds somewhere. That was me. I accidentally left my audio. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. to 13, we're getting there. Okay, I guess we can start. How is everyone? Oh, just dandy. I'm glad being, being, <laughs> being dandy is just a good, good thing. Um, okay, so we have um, official classes are today and then Tuesday is officially the last class. Um, then I believe it's Thursday and Friday are the study days. Um, for next week, um, I'm just looking at the schedule right now. Um, study days are April 30th and May 1st. Um, so yeah, that would be Thursday and Friday. So we will have optional, since we're um, bound not to finish it Metro, uh, at the rate we're going, uh, we'll have optional extra classes that day. Would people like to, um, I guess, uh, let's just plan on doing the extra classes um, at the same time. Uh, so Thursday at 1230 and Friday at 1230. Does that work for people? Um, and that way, I think we have a good chance of finishing the play. So um, is that time impossible for anyone or are there preferable times? I think it's just easiest to do it um, at the same Anthony and Cleopatra time, same Anthony and Cleopatra Zoom channel. Okay, so obviously they're optional, um, but your grade will depend on them. Um, <laughs> good, I'm glad you thought that was funny. Um, all right, so let's go straight back into it. Or, or, well, any questions before we go straight back into it? Um, five, four, three, two, one, no. Okay, good. Um, so, oh, um, I won't be able to make it on Thursday. Um, sorry. Um, oh, the, what's the English department meeting? Is that a graduate student meeting? Yeah, there's a Zoom seminar for um, summer scheduling. It, it's optional too, but I was hoping to make it. So if Yeah, that's fine. Wait, what, what time is it? It's, um, Wait, oh, maybe it's, I, I thought it was 12.30 because the, I, maybe I got confused with the 
graduate students paper similar, but um, I I believe it's maybe um, you know I I think it's ten. Sorry. Okay. So I, I should be fine. All right. So so let's do, so let's plan. Yeah, sorry for the confusion. Okay. So um, so we'll plan on Thursday and Friday at twelve thirty. Um, okay. Sorry, so, I was a few minutes late. So what were we talking about? Um, uh, we we were we were talking about the Indianapolis five hundred races and um, um, the fact that um, both Tom Brady and his favorite co-player are no. We we're talking about um, we're going to have extra um, optional. Well, for you they're all optional, but optional extra classes to try to finish the play next Thursday at 12.30 and next Friday at 12.30. So um, we're about, we're about 60, 65% through the play now. Um, and um, so I'm hoping that with today, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, we can finish it. Um, but they are optional. So um, if you don't care what happens, fine, fine. I won't be hurt. It's just fine. Okay, Act 3, Scene 13. Um, at some point soon, if you're using a different version of Antony and Cleopatra, the act and scene number may change. Um, they're, two, um, they're two different theories as to where act four should start. And um, I think the Arden is the majority theory, um, but uh, it's possible that, uh, that there'll be a discrepancy coming along. But, uh, but you'll be able to figure it out because we're going through it um, bit by bit. So we need a Cleopatra and Ina Barbas. I'm just gonna do what I did before, which is um, uh, go through my gallery view um, from the top left. Um, I don't know, do you guys have it more or less? This is the thing I've been curious about in Zoom. So my top left is Prue. Do other people have Prue as top left? Um, no. No. Okay. So, so I guess it's, it's just kind of random. Um, um, but okay, 313. Um, so we, so um, you'll know my ordering. So Prue, you're Cleopatra. Cassie, you're Ina Barbas. Matthew, you're Charmian. Um, e, you're Iris. And um, then uh, Sophia, you're Antony. And um, um, Ari, you will be the ambassador from Caesar. Okay, so begin. <clears throat> what shall we do, Ina Barbus? Think and die. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, you gave that its full weight. Um, and remember the reason that the situation is they've just lost the battle because Cleopatra turned tail and Antony went after her. And um, now he's, he's suing to Caesar to be allowed to live a private man at Rome and Caesar um, is not interested in, in any of it. So here we are in um, the kind of downfall situation if you've seen the movie Downfall, this is the Cleopatra version of it, or so it seems. So think and die. Cleopatra. Is Antony or we in fault for this? Antony only that would make his will lord of reason. 
What though you fled from that great face of war, whose several ranges frighted each other? Why should he follow? The itch of his affection should not then have nicked his captainship at such a point, when half to half the world opposed, he being the mirrored question. Twas a shame no less than was his loss to course your flying flags and leave his navy gazing. Privy peace. Okay, so this is not exactly um, the reassurance that Cleopatra wants. Um, it was Antony's fault that he was in love with you and went after you when you left the battle. He was, um, he was an idiot for um, loving you so much. And, um, notice the word gaze there. Um, it was Antony had gazed at Cleopatra when he first saw her on Sydney, and this idea of just gazing at her is um, um, the, that, that's what she gets people to do. Um, this is, I think, another moment where uh, Milton gets the word gaze in Paradise Lost when Satan comes to Eden for the first time and he can't believe what he's seeing. And he just stands there, Milton says, still in gaze. He can't take himself, he can't, he can't withdraw his look from what he's seeing. So a uh, very interesting word, a word that's been um, overused in translations in modern literary theory from the French. If you hear about the male gaze or the, ga or, um, uh, the gaze of the other, that's not actually a good translation, but there is no good translation for the French word. But here, this is just gazing as in unable um, to take your sight away from something. Okay, enter Aunt Ambassador with Aunt. Uh, can I can I interject for a second? Yep. Uh, so the other thing is uh, is is at the beginning when he says that that would Antony only that would make his will Lord of Reason. He's saying like. Um, it's Antony's fault because he would put his own desires above everyone else's. Is that, am I correct in that? Yeah. And will there is also um, a somewhat slangy word for sexual desire. Um, sometimes you, sometimes uh, this may be familiar to you from Shakespeare, that people go at it with a will. Um, but it's uh, in one of the sonnets, will is uh, um, used um, in one of the sonnets to the dark-haired lady um, in which uh, Shakespeare is complaining that uh, she is not monogamous um, because he's the only one who should not have to be monogamous. But his complaint is, um, and will thou hast, and will to boot, and will in overplus. Um, notice that Antony uses that word overplus also. And the joke there is, yes, Cassie, the chaser's first name is Will. So she has him, and she also has sexual desire, and she also has um, possibly another lover named Will, or possibly Will also is slang for genitalia. So um, it's uh, th th there's something of that resonance in the word Will. Um, okay, Anthony. Is that his answer? Ambassador. Oh, hi, my lord. Okay, so what was the answer the ambassador just gave? Yes. Yes. 
Um, <laughs> no, it's they're coming in in the middle of a conversation. Oh, are you answering? Um, are you answering Matt's question? Uh, yes, the answer is is yes to that. Um, his navy is um, um, Antony's navy. Yep. Um, that. They just didn't, they stopped fighting. They saw him going backwards um, and they just look at him going backwards and then they retreat in disarray as well. Um, the ambassador, what, amba what, has, what, what um, message has the ambassador brought back from Caesar? We already know. That Caesar will pardon Cleopatra, but not Antony, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, and that Cleopatra, all she has to do is give up Antony and then uh, Caesar will be her ally. So, um, okay, go on, Antony. Uh, the queen shall then have courtesy, so she will yield us up. So summarize. So. Antony? Oh, um, let her know it. To the boy Caesar, send this grizzled head and he will... Fill thy wishes to the brim with principalities. That head, my lord. Okay, so stop there. I think that's an amazing scene also, an amazing interchange. So um, here the ambassador comes with what's bad news for Antony if Cleopatra betrays him. And notice that he says, let her know it. And then not only does he say that, but he's the one who tells Cleopatra to the boy Caesar. So there he is. Remember Caesar complains, he calls me boy. Earlier it had been the scarce bearded Caesar. So now to the boy Caesar, send this grizzled head because he is middle-aged and he will fill thy wishes to the brim with principalities. Notice he's not gonna overflow the measure but he will fill thy wishes to the brim with principalities. You will have territory after territory under your command. And then Cleopatra has that amazing response. Just think about how this would play on stage. That head, my Lord, that somehow she grabs him by the hair maybe as though in a mocking way to decapitate him, or maybe she kisses him, or maybe she embraces him, or maybe she puts her hands on his face. Um, but it's, there's, there's, that she turns what is, she makes what is a kind of wonderfully physical joke bordering on the grotesque, because you have to think of Antony's head being lopped off when she says, that head, my lord. Um, but She's also making fun of Caesar. Um, they're they're um, laughing. Um, even in the midst of this terrible pressure, they're laughing about it. And Antony immediately gets that um, she's on his side. So Antony. Uh, to him again, tell him he wears the rose of youth upon him from which the world should note something particular. His coin, ships, legions, maybe a coward's whose minister should, would prevail under the service of a child as soon as in the command of Caesar. I dare him therefore to lay his gay caparisons apart and answer me declined, sword against sword, ourselves alone. I'll write it, follow me. So what's his argument? What, what's he gonna say back to Caesar? Quick summary. He wants to like challenge him to a fight just yeah, single combat, 
Um, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, which goes all the way back to the Iliad. Um, the idea that instead of everyone getting killed in uh, in a war, there should be single combat, and whoever wins a single combat wins. Um, and uh, I, uh, sorry, uh, he says, uh, and he says, tell him he wears the rose of youth upon him, from which the world should note something particular. I think that he's meaning like, tell him that he is much younger and more naive than I, and therefore the world knows that I would win that fight. Um, yeah, that, um, or, or that what, so far he hasn't proved himself in any way. Um, he's young, um, he is at a right age to be able to prove himself if he's going to prove himself, but so far he hasn't. And as far as winning with the whole Roman army, um, that means nothing. It's not his doing. It would be um, the Roman military's doing. And no matter who was um, the, the leader of Rome, they might win. But if he wants to show that he himself is a considerable person, he should do something particular, which is to say he should, um, he should stand out. He should do something outstanding. Um, that would be um, the literal meaning of outstanding, something that makes you stand out, is what particular would mean here. And um, so let him do it with single combat, especially since he's young and I'm old. Um, he's got all the advantage. So let, let's see him do it. Ina Barbas. Yes, like enough. High-battled Caesar will unstate his happiness and be staged to the show against a sworder. I see men's judgments are a parcel of their fortunes, and things outward do draw the inward quality after them to suffer all alike. That he should dream, knowing all measures, the full Caesar will enter, answer his emptiness. Caesar, thou hast subdued his judgment too. Okay, so what's Enobarbus's point? It's like a, a zero-sum game for Caesar. Why would he do this? Yeah. Um, that is that, yeah, it's a zero sum game right now. Caesar is, has all the advantage. So why would he lay the advantage apart? Um, who has done such a thing? Who's thrown away the absolute advantage that he has. Antony, when he keeps not like fighting at sea instead of on land, even though they win on land. Yeah. And, and when they say, why does he do it? He says for that he dares us to it. Um, so Ina Bart, so that's the difference between Antony and Cleopatra. I mean, sorry, between Antony and Caesar is that Caesar is um, has a, a dominating strategy, and Antony is um, willing to um, throw away all his superiority in order to, I don't know, be noble, to stand out, to show that he deserves what he has, to show that he's not a coward to show that he's Antony. Um, so here is, and so what Ina Barbas is also saying is, I can see that Antony, when he's lost um, the battle, his outward fortune is drawing the inward quality after it. That is that um, he's lost the battle and he is therefore um, becoming erratic that the loss, he's not sustaining his own strategic intelligence after the loss. He's becoming a little bit wild. 
that he should dream. And here is um, a really good use of the word dream. Later, there's going to be a major moment when Cleopatra says, we've already quoted this speech several times because it's the an Antony Twas speech. But she be, the speech begins, I dreamt there was an emperor Antony of such another sleep that I might have such another dream. So we're now entering the kind of dream world of Alexandria. Rome has become reality or is becoming reality. And Alexandria is becoming dream-like, that he should dream knowing all. Just notice the word measures there. That he should dream, oh, that he should dream knowing all measures, the full Caesar will answer his emptiness. So it's full versus empty. Um, and again, there's, uh, it's not only full versus empty in, in, in Cleopatra, but it's over full, it's overflowing versus empty. Caesar is full, but he never overflows. Antony did overflow, and so now he's empty. So that he should dream, knowing all measures, the full Caesar will answer his emptiness. Caesar, thou subdued his judgment too. I'll be the servant, a messenger from Caesar. What, no more ceremony? See, my woman, against a blown rose, may they stop their nose that kneeled unto the buds. Admit him, sir. So the blown rose is the rose that has um, um, blossomed and is now past blossoming time. And that's who she's comparing herself to. I used to be the rose, now I've gone to seed and they're holding their nose when they used to kneel unto the buds. Okay, Ina Barbas. Fine honesty and I begin to square the loyalty well held. To fools does make our faith more folly. Yet he that can endure to follow with allegiance a fallen lord does conquer him that did his master conquer and earns a place in the story. Okay, so what's he saying here? The first two and a half lines, mine honesty and I begin to square. So that means we would say square off. He and his honesty are squaring off against each other. He is thinking of doing something not honest which would be what? Leaving Antony. Like Minas leaving Agrippa. I mean, leaving um, Pompey. Um, so, and he says, why? The loyalty well held to fools does make our faith mere folly. If you're loyal to a fool, then your loyalty isn't faithfulness, it's madness. So, but then he has a yet. And these lines could be a summary of King Lear, or of Kent in King Lear, or of the Fool in King Lear, or of Edgar in King Lear, right? Yet he that can endure to follow with allegiance a fallen Lord does conquer him that did his master conquer and earns a place in the story. So um, if I continue to follow Antony, then I am conquering the person who conquered Antony because he hasn't corrupted me and earns a place in the story. That is, if there's a play written about this in 1500 years and 1600 years, I'll be part of it. Um, 
one of those, do you remember the similar joke in Julius Caesar? Cassius and Brutus say that what they're doing will be rehearsed on stage um, in accents unknown in places or in places unknown in accents not yet known. I'm not getting exactly right, obviously. Um, but he basically says, what we're doing now, this is going to be performed in plays in um, languages that don't even exist yet. It's so important. So the idea that um, you, the story will be remembered and that you will be part of that story. Um, that's also what Hamlet, why Hamlet tells Horatio not to kill himself at the end of Hamlet. Do you remember what Horatio says? He says, I have something of the antique Roman in me, which Hamlet immediately understands is that Horatio, like um, according to the Roman custom of suicide in um, after um, devastating loss, he's going to do the same thing. But um, Hamlet says, no, don't do it. You have to draw your breath in this world, in this harsh world in pain to tell my story. Um, so that the story doesn't get lost. Nicole. Um, I think you told us in the intro class that like at the end, Cleopatra makes a similar like self-referential statement, like some squealing Cleopatra will buoy her greatness or something like that. Yes, exactly, and I, exactly. And I shall hear some squeaking Cleopatra buoy my greatness in the posture of a whore. Um, so yeah, those self-referential moments are, are um, they're deep jokes on Shakespeare's part. You know, one of the, this is when we talked a little bit about comic relief in Macbeth with the knocking of the gate in Macbeth. Um, this is a similar thing, that it's a deep joke and um, the depth of the joke is something like um, you yourself, oh audience, are part of the upshot of the of the gallows humor that Cleopatra or that Caesar or that um, Hamlet is, uh, is, is indulging in. Um, it is gallows humor and the result is that you're at this play and in a way that makes it realer. The very unreality of the play in a way makes it realer. Um, because what we do when we see a play, this is one of the things that Dr. Johnson says, is we don't really believe we're seeing the actual events and actual people, um, but um, we um, nevertheless um, respond as though they're real. Um, in a strange, not quite hypothetical, but not quite real way. And Shakespeare is just really good at getting us to see that. Um, so a second ago, Cassie had her hand up and now she disappeared. So um, no one sees her, right? No one sees her. <laughs> um, all right, I think she might've gotten disconnected or maybe she, had, she wanted to say that she had to go. Um, all right, um, so let's go on from there. Um, so someone be Thidius. Um, I think we are up to Tommy. Yeah, I'll be Thidius. Okay. 
And so Cleopatra? Caesar's will. Here it apart. None but friends, say boldly. So happily are they friends to Antony. Oh, and Enobarbus is gone. Um, so how about Nicole, you be Enobarbus now? He needs as many, sir, as Caesar has, or needs not us. If Caesar please our master, we'll leap to be his friend. For us, you know, whose he is we are, and that is Caesar's. So what's That's... he Oh, sorry. Did you wanna, did you wanna say something? I'm just par paraphrase what he just said. Me? Well, um, well we got uh, uh, the he needs as many sir as Caesar has, or needs not us, is like he needs, he's gonna need a lot of friends because of the situation that he's in. Um, and so, if Caesar, oh, I think it means like if Caesar plays our master will leave to be his friend as in it's at the point where Antony would have to accept a uh, friendship from Caesar if he offered it because he's in, because he's so disadvantaged. Right. And so when Ina Barbus says that um, he, either he needs as many friends as Caesar, which he does, or he doesn't need any friends at all because friends will do no good. So Thidius is saying, I want to talk to Cleopatra without Antony knowing what's going on. And um, Antony and Ina Barbas is saying, it doesn't, we can all know what's going on. It's not gonna do anything at all. Um, it's not gonna do um, Antony any good at all um, for us to know or for him to know what Thidius is proposing. Um, so Thidius accepts that. Uh, Thidius? So thus then, thou, must renown thou most renowned, Caesar entreats not to consider in what case thou standst further than he is Caesar. Go on, right, royal. Okay, what does that pick up on from before? All you have to, you don't have to worry about the situation you're in. The only thing you have to remember is that he's Caesar. So what's that picking up on from before? That Caesar's name was enough praise. Exactly. What's thou praise Caesar? Say Caesar, go no further, as Lepidus had said. So Caesar's, Caesar completely accepts that. Look, I'm Caesar. That's all you need to know. Uh, Cleopatra? Go on, right royal. That is what he said. That's a right royal attitude. He knows that you embrace not Antony as you did love, but as you feared him. Oh, um, so, so how would, I like the way you said the O. Um, <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, is it, is it, is she playing for time? Is she agreeing? Is she shocked? Think of all the different ways you could do this. You could say, oh, that is like, go on. Um, that's helpful. Or, oh, um, or, oh. So lots of different tones that you could do that O in. Uh, Thidius? The scars upon your honor, therefore, he does pity as constrained blemishes, not as deserved. So what does that mean? That's, um, like, he doesn't, he thinks that, like, the bad things you do, he doesn't blame you for them. Yeah, and the bad things that you do is, is um, having a relationship with Antony. So obviously that dishonored you. Um, you clearly, um, Clearly, you look terrible for having had this relationship with Antony, but it's all Antony's fault, um, and he understands that. Um, so he pities you 
for being Antony's victim um, rather than um, thinking that you should be dishonored by the fact that you had sex with him. It was obviously consensual. Say, Patrick? He is a god and knows what is most right. Mine honor was not yielded, but conquered merely. So again, what tone would you put that in? I don't know, deadpan? <laughs> deadpan, okay, <laughs> good way to avoid it. That's the way I read everything. <laughs> no, you don't. But do you, if you correcting someone, would you have them, would you have Cleopatra trying to convince Phyllis that she agreed? You have her basically saying, okay, I get it. This is the official line and I am going to go with it. Would you have it be sarcastic? What would people do? Oh, so this is, so this means that this is clearly not irreverence. This is like, this is um, Cleopatra just saying what, like being by Anthony's side for, or like, or like saying something about Anthony that's nice just for the purpose of, of like honorability. That's okay. not a word, but I, but it's honor, but you know, I had to embellish a little bit. Yeah, but okay, so the he there is Caesar, right? So Caesar is a god and knows what is most right. So in other words, um, who's, who's going to contradict Caesar? He's a god, he knows the truth. Oh, here's Cassie. Hi, Cassie. Um, uh, you had your hand up before. Did you want to say something, Cassie? Oh, she's still connecting. Okay. Cassie, you had your hand up before. Did you want to say something? I did, yes. I'm sorry, my Wi-Fi just completely cut out and I don't know how well this is going to work. I was just going to say um, that I felt like, and I don't know if you were talking about this while I was gone, but um, I felt, I feel like Ana Barbas is a pretty clear Judas figure, um, maybe more specifically from like Jesus Christ Superstar than anything else i don't know why like that was the connection i made um and i would just i assume that it's not coincidental but i don't know how intentional it is okay no it's definitely intentional and you have just opened up a floodgate so now if i help you it matters that you see these sort of kind of things are coming hard to me it's taken me some time to work out what to do i weighed the whole thing out before i came to you I really didn't come here of my own accord. I really didn't come here for some reward. Just don't say damn all, all time. All right. That was a little break for you. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're either gonna put that one in the history books or pretend it didn't happen. Well, let's put that up to a vote. <laughs> none of you, none of you works for gravity, right? Good. Okay, um, so yeah, I, um, that's right. He's, he is certainly a Judas figure um, and like uh, Judas who hangs himself, a reluctant, thank you, Prue, um, a reluctant uh, Judas figure. Um, okay, so we, um, Cassie, we got up to line 63. So Cleopatra is saying of Caesar, he is a God and knows what is most right. Mine honor was not yielded, but conquered merely. And so the question is, 
to what extent is this like, okay, that's the official story and I'll accept it um, because I have no choice. To what extent is it finally someone saw that Antony was um, oppressing me? That is to say, to what extent is it an out and out lie? Or to what extent is it sarcasm? Um, it's, they may functionally, they may all work the same way because it only has to be the official story. Um, but how you think about Cleopatra or maybe how Antony's gonna think about Cleopatra is going to depend on what her, um, oh, it's kitty, um, what her tone is, uh, what her tone is there. So um, if anyone were directing or playing her, what would you do? Um, Alex. I mean, I think I would probably go down the sarcastic route because I think that, um, I just don't think, I think mine honor was not yielded, but conquered merely just sounds really sarcastic to me. It's like, oh, like I was conquered. Like it just, it, it sounds like she's being sarcastic. Like she's so just kind of, she doesn't know what to do, but she's also like done with everything, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it does make sense. Um, you would have to then figure out what Ina Barbas thinks is going on um, in his aside, which follows right after that. But I think his aside would work under any circumstances. So, Ina Barbas? I'm just finding the page, I'm sorry. That's okay. Is it to be sure of? Is that the, how it starts? Okay, so you're going to be back um, because I think uh, Sophia was being in a barbus. Is that right? What, in your absence, who was I was being in a barbus. <laughs> oh, okay. Nicole is welcome to be in a barbus. Okay, so Nicole, why don't you? Why don't you? Okay, <laughs> thank you, Nicole. Um, to be sure of that, I will ask Antony, sir, sir, thou art so leaky that we must leave thee to thy to thy sinking, for thy dearest quit thee. So he's thinking of of um, betraying Antony, and then what does he see or claim he sees? Or really, what does he see, even if it's sarcasm? That Cleopatra is also betraying him. Yeah, and um, well, and he's sad about that, but um, we must leave thee to thy sinking for thy dearest quit thee. And um, that, uh, that moment is one in which um, it looks like things are over for Antony. Um, and remember, if you're seeing this on stage, you don't actually know how much longer the play is going to go on. Obviously, you know that, um, as everyone does, that, um, that Cleopatra will commit suicide. Um, obviously, you know, as everyone does, that Caesar is going to be in control. Um, but you don't know how much of the play is left, and it turns out there's more than you would think. Um, so now Phidias is alone with Cleopatra, and he goes, he picks up. So, Phidias. Sorry, one second.
Okay, uh, shall I say to Caesar what you require of him? For he partly begs to be desired to give. It would much please him that of his fortunes you should make a staff to lean upon. But it would warm his spirits to hear from me you had left Antony and put yourself under his shroud, the universal landlord. Okay, so notice the word beg there, which we've talked about. There's beggary in the love that can be conquered. Um, the uh, several uses of the word beg in the play. Um, so Caesar is also begging, but he's begging from the point of power. That is, this is, this is a complete noblesse, um, oblige kind of begging. I beg you to let me help you, which means you're hardly a beggar. Hardly begs to be desired to give. He's begging that you would want him to be generous. So again, this question of who gives and under what circumstances, Caesar will give or claims that he will give Cleopatra what, he, what she wants um, if she expresses a desire for it. And again, that's the opposite of Antony, who would never demand that someone ask him for something before he would be willing to give it. So this is just, this is um, fancy um, formal talk, um, fancy um, eloquence and rhetoric. He partly begs to be desired to give, but it also um, again speaks to that contrast between Antony and Cleopatra, Antony who just throws stuff away, um, pure wastefulness, and Caesar who um, wants to be desired to give what he gives so that he'll get credit for it. Cleopatra? What's your name? My name is Thidius. Most kind messenger, say to great Caesar this in his deputation. I kiss his conquering hand. Tell him I am prompt to lay my crown at his feet and there to kneel. Tell him from his all-obeying breath I hear the doom of Egypt. Till from his all-obeying breath I hear the doom of Egypt. So yeah, I'll, we'll all obey him, whatever he says. So now it looks like she's Enobarbus, for whatever reason, he was right. Um, she, she will do whatever it is that Caesar wants her to do. Tis your noblest course, wisdom and fortune combating together. If that the former dare but what it can, no chance may shake it. Give me grace to lay my duty on your hand. So wisdom and fortune are at odds with each other. Um, the old saying is always, it's better to be lucky than to be good. Thiddies is saying the opposite. He's saying that doing the wise thing will ensure your fortune and no chance may shake it. Um, so give me grace to lay my duty in your hand. What does he want to do? You can think of Gloucester and King Lear. He wants to kiss her hand. So kind of court, um, not quite flirtatiousness, but um, court interaction um, where kissing someone's hand is a sign, a polite sign that um, you are, um, you are at their mercy because they are so charismatic. So Cleopatra, 
Your Caesar's father oft, when he hath mused of taking kingdoms in, and bestowed his lips on that untrust, unworthy place as it rained kisses. So you're kissing my hand, and you know who used to kiss my hand in the same way? Julius Caesar. Um, he was thinking about taking in kingdoms, and in the meantime, he was kissing my hand, um, just uh, raining kisses upon my hand. So in the meet, so here come Antony and Enobarbus. Where has Enobarbus gone? Why is, why is um, Antony coming back with him? To fetch Antony. To fetch Antony. So the very thing about so they may be friends to Antony, it turns out, yeah, Enobarbus has now told Antony what's going on. That's why he left at line 68. Now they're back in the midst of a conversation and Antony can also see what's going on that the conversation they've had, it turns out to be borne out. So Antony. Favors by Jove the Thunders. What art thou fellow? One that but performs the bidding of the fullest man and worthiest to have command obeyed. Nice, okay, and notice again the word fullest. So not the man who overflows, but the man who is fullest. And then Enobarbus makes a little prediction. Enobarbus. Enobarbus. Um, you will be whipped. Approach there. Ah, you kite. Now, gods and devils, authority melts for me. Of late when I cried, ho, like boys unto a mus, kings would start forth. And cry your will. Okay, so um, Enobarbus sees that Phidias is in trouble, and um, Antony now is calling for servants. Iukite is addressed to Cleopatra, and then this great line now, gods and devils, authority melts from me. So, yet another use of that idea of melting in the play. Um, let Rome and Tiber melt. Now it's authority melts from me. How does he know? Because it used to be the case that if he cried anything, kings would start forth and cry your will. They would be his servants. But now he's waiting for servants to come and no one is coming. Finally, a servant does come. Um, go on, Anthony. Uh, have you no ears? I am Antony yet. Take hence the jack and whip him. So what do you want to notice about I am Antony yet? That it's like it's the usage of Antony that can Antony be himself kind of thing. Yeah. So here he's saying I am still Antony. Um, but the implication is that the still implies that it may not be permanent. I am Antony yet. Um, take hence the jack, take hence the jack and whip him. So Enobarbus was right. And now he says, Enobarbus? Um, Tis better playing with a lion's whelp than with an old one dying. So who's the old dying lion? Antony. Yeah. So better to play with a young lion, with a, with a lion cub, than with a dying lion. The dying lion might seem weaker, but also more furious. Sorry, just a question, um, because like we were talking about like authority melts from me. Like could the use of third person imperative in the play kind of be um, showing like the powerlessness of each of the characters that uses it because like they're not able to like 
Yeah, if you're using the third person imperative, you're kind of just ordering around things that aren't going to listen to you. Yeah, yeah, good. So, and so this is, this is um, that melt is now becoming the indicative um, because he couldn't make anything else melt with the third person imperative and Cleopatra couldn't either. Yeah, the third person imperative, it's, it is a peculiarly interesting and I think this is how Shakespeare is using it, peculiarly interesting combination of an assertion of power and will um, with the um, ineffectiveness of that assertion. So you call upon something to happen as though you had magical powers, as though you said, you know, um, spirits be summoned or um, let Mephistopheles appear. And that would be magic. Um, but here the third person imperatives are the are imperatives that can't be brought into reality, as though all that's left is the imperious will of Antony or of Cleopatra, but a will that has um, that 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 is powerful but ineffective, a will that's powerful but can't make what it demands to occur. So yeah, that's good. Um, Anthony, go on. Um, moon and stars, whip him. We're 20 of the greatest um, tribu tributa tributaries that do acknowledge Caesar. Did I find them so saucy with the hand of she here? What's her name since she was Cleopatra? Whip him, fellows, till like a boy you see him cringe his face and whine aloud for mercy. Take him hence. Okay, so um, I keep thinking that I'm going to write a little grammar book called Grammatical Errors of Great, and here is one of them. Um, so saucy with the hand of she here. Uh, you should say the hand of her, but clearly Shakespeare doesn't want to because he doesn't want her here. Um, so he prefers grammatical error to uh, uh, um, a jingling of sounds. Um, but What's her name since she was Cleopatra? I think this is, as I say, one of the two, um, possibly three times in the play that he calls her Cleopatra. Um, and now he's saying she is not Cleopatra. Uh, she was Cleopatra, but now she isn't. So this is another version of Sir, sometimes when he is not Antony, he comes short of that great quality, which still should go with being Antony. Here is, so what's happened to her? She's not Cleopatra, what's her name? Since she was Cleopatra. Um, whipping the messenger, whipping the ambassador, who's done that before? Cleopatra herself. Right, so this is, or she's threatened to do it. Here Antony's actually doing it. But on the other hand, what Thidias is trying to do is destroy him. So Thidias intervenes, Thidias? Mark Antony. Tug him away, being whipped, bring him again. The back of Caesar shall bear us an errand to him. And now an amazing, um, the second amazing um, uh, fight between Antony and Cleopatra, um, just the way um, that he did this when, right after he lost the battle. Now Phidias has come and um, now he's angry at her again. So the previous one ended with the great fall, not a tear, I say. One of them rates all that is won or lost. 
now he is turns on Cleopatra with absolute viciousness. So go on, Anthony. You're half blasted ere I knew you, huh? Have I, have I my pillow left unpressed in Rome, forborn the getting of a lawful race, and by a gem of women to be abused by one that looks on theaters? Well, what's, what's he asking? What did I do for you? What did I give up for you? So what did he give up? The fight. The fight, but in, in this particular speech, he's listing um, things that he did for her. He gave up his life in Rome for her. He gave up his wife in Rome for her. Mm-hmm. His pillows unpressed. He never, he, he moved to Egypt, basically. He moved out of Rome for her. Yeah. So he's, he, he has left his wife. He doesn't have forborn the getting of a lawful race. He hasn't um, produced legitimate children by a gem of women. Who's that? A Fulvia. No, Octavia. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, of course. You're talking about Octavia. And I did that for what? To be abused by one that looks on feeders? What's a feeder there mean? Servant. Why is Thidius a fever? A feeder? He's like, and maybe I'm taking this too literally, but like he's trying to feed Octavius's like power. He's, he's, He's a follower of Octavius, but he is power. But he's like feeding off the power that he gets from Octavius. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's he's a tick. Um, he's 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 um, uh, sucking the the wealth and power and blood by by being by being a brown noser to Caesar. And so I'm going to be abused by someone who lets a feeder kiss her hand. Someone who who. Um, who treats him in a seductive way um, in order to get him on her side. That's what I gave everything up for. Cleopatra. Good, my Lord. You have been a boggler ever, but when we in our viciousness grow hard, oh, misery on it. The wise gods seal our eyes in our own filth, drop our clear judgments, make us adore our errors, laugh at it while we strut to our confusion. Oh, is it come to this? I found you as a morsel, cold upon dead Caesar's trencher. Nay, you were a fragment of Gnaeus Pompey's, besides what hotter hours, unregistered in vulgar fame, you have luxuriously picked out. For I am sure that you can guess what temperance should be, you know not what it is. So basically, I can't believe that Honorable Anthony gave all of this up for someone like you. And look how disgusting this is. I found you as a morsel cold upon dead Caesar's trencher. You were Caesar's leftover. A trencher is a plate, um, the plate that um, uh, he'd been, um, um, the, the, the plate in which Caesar. Um, had been eating from, and then there's a leftover, and that's what Antony got. Um, uh, nay, you were a fragment of Gnaeus Pompey's, not only Caesar, but Pompey, um, besides all the other sex that you had with, with um, uh, other people that there isn't a record of. I'm sure you can guess what temperance should be. You know the idea of temperance, but you've never experienced it. So this is Antony being amazingly vicious. And notice that here you have what is um, 
probably the most intense love story in all of Shakespeare and in Cleopatra. And um, you get this amazingly bitter fight between them, which is the last thing you would expect. But there it is, Cleopatra. Wherefore is this? To let a fellow that will take rewards and say, God quit you. Be familiar with my playfellow, your hand, this kingly seal and plighter of high hearts. Oh, that I were upon the hill of Basin to outroar that uh, the horned herd. For I have savage cause, and to proclaim it civilly were like a haltered neck, which does the hangman thank for being yer about him. Yeah, so everything here is awful. I have cause to be roaring like the herd um, in, uh, of bulls. This is from the Bible, um, because, I, because I'm so angry at what's gone on. So enter a servant with Phidias, go on. Is he whipped? Soundly, my lord. <laughs> Cried he and begged a pardon. He did ask favor. If that thy father live, let him repent thou wast not made his daughter, and be thou sorry to follow Caesar in his triumph, since thou hast been whipped for following him. Henceforth the white hand of a lady uh, fever thee. Shake thou to look on it. So the white hand of a lady fever thee, form? Oh, the third person imperative? Yep. Okay, I just, it's really all over. So I just, um, and you won't find it in remotely like the same quantity in any other Shakespeare. Okay, um, go on, Sophia. Get thee back to Caesar. Tell him thy entertainment. Look, thou say he makes me angry with him, for he seems proud and disdainful, harping on what I am, not what he knew I was. He makes me angry, and at this time most easy is to do it when my good stars that were my former guides have empty left their orbs and shot their fires into the ab <laughs> abysm of hell. If he mislike my speech and what is done, tell him he has um, Hipparchus, my infranged bondman, whom he may at pleasure whip or hang or torture, as he shall like to quit me. Urge it though. Hence with thy, stri with thy strips, be gone. With thy stripes, that is the stripes, stripes. from being whipped. I'm good. Yeah, so um, I love that moment. Uh, look how say, sudden understatement. He makes me angry with him. For he seems proud and disdainful, harping on what I am, not what he knew I was. He makes me angry. And at this time, most easy it is to do it. So Antony knows that he is letting emotion overrule um, analysis, overrule lucidity. And he's now agreeing with Cleopatra. Now most easy tis to do, I mean, with Enobarbus, now most easy tis to do it. When my good stars that were my former guides have empty left their orbs and shot their fires into the abyss of hell. So I'm no longer guided by the stars that used to guide me. So Phidias is gone and Cleopatra and Antony are still left together. Um, and then Cleopatra asks an amazing question. Um, go on, Cleopatra. Have you done yet? Yeah, so think of all those moments when someone is ranting and the person at whom he is ranting um, isn't cowed. Like, so, you done yet? <laughs> um, you want to keep ranting or are you done? So notice the term, the perfect equality with which she responds to him. 
Um, so uh, before, again, this is this is um, um, Cleopatra has so far. These are the words she's gotten in edgewise, starting at line um, one fourteen or so. Good, my lord. He interrupts her. Oh, is it come to this? He interrupts her. Wherefore is this? He interrupts her. In all those cases, her tone would be slightly um, uh, abashed, only a little bit, but slightly abashed. But Antony keeps um, ranting. Then, and this is just sheer playwright genius on Shakespeare's part, we get this interaction between Antony and Thidias, which allows enough of a, um, uh, a gap, enough of a, um, um, a beat between the first interaction that he's had with Cleopatra and the interaction that he's going to have with Cleopatra now for her to change her tone and to no longer look like she is conceding anything to him. Nicole. To me, it kind of reminds me of the way that um, Lady Macbeth kind of rails at Macbeth and his lack of manhood because she's actually angry at herself and her own lack of manhood. Mm -hmm. And so like here, Antony's like probably really angry at himself and the mistakes that he's made. And he's like just attacking Cleopatra for that. But Cleopatra's kind of the stronger person here and she's really unaffected by it. Yeah, good. Um, so, she, and, and she's waiting for him. The thing, the really interesting thing about Anne and Cleopatra, um, and I'm not sure that anyone except possibly the fool would be in the same situation, but the really thing, the interesting thing about this play is the extent to which people know Antony and get Antony um, and understand what he's doing and um, therefore don't simply accept whatever mood he's in as really is, um, but um, they understand what he's going to do and what he's going to be um, like. So Ina Barbus can say, you will be whipped, knowing that Antony will whip Thidias before Antony himself has even um, thought of this. In this case, Cleopatra is waiting for Antony to um, return or to uh, waiting for this rage of Antony's to blow, to, 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 to burn itself out. Um, you'll see another version of this, an amazing version of this, um, a little bit later in, in one of my favorite minor moments in Antony and Cleopatra. But just notice, have you done yet? That's the you that parents use with each other. Um, that is, that's the you, or, uh, well, no, I'd say that you want the terms of equality there. That's the you where one person thinks that he is in the dominant position, but he's failing to dominate the other person. This is, do you guys, any, any of you watch The Honeymooners? Do you know The Honeymooners? Do you really not know The Honeymooners? Jackie Gleason? Oh man, you have a great summer ahead of you if you have to shelter in place watching The Honeymooners on old TV. 1950s TV show. Um, some of you may know that 1950s TV was a whole lot better than 1960s TV. Um, and The Honeymooners is one of the great classic shows of all time. And 
Um, it's do people if I say Jackie Gleason, do you know who that is? Anyone? Okay, so Jackie Gleason plays the husband, and he's married to, um, and he's always full of himself and always going into a rage. And he, he um, one of the one of the same lines is to the moon, Alice. That is, he's so angry. He's going to one of these days thing. Yeah, what? That's well, exactly. One of these what days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Alice, um, uh, his wife, um, is never impressed by him. And um, no matter how angry and how righteous he gets about some situation, she's just like patiently waiting for him to stop being a jerk. Um, when she, after which she is going to tell him what a fool he is. And that's a standard trope in the honeymooners. Um, and that's what's going on. You, you could almost imagine that here. And, and we've all seen that happen. Um, you know, all right. You can be an asshole a little bit longer, but you done yet? Have you done yet? And the answer is no, he hasn't. Anthony, go on. Alack, our Terran moon is now eclipsed and it portends alone the fall of Anthony. I must stay his time. Oh, okay. He's, I gotta wait for him. He's not ready yet. Um, so she's not saying, oh no, please stop being this way. It's just like, yep, not yet. Um, to flatter Caesar, would you mingle eyes with one that ties his points? That is someone who, um, th so Phidias is the um, Osric character in Antony and Cleopatra. That is, uh, remember Osric in Hamlet, who um, is always talking this fancy way and is dressed in, in um, this extreme, in high court fashion. So that's what tying your points is. Um, is is um, dressing according to a certain high court fashion. Um, so uh, go on. Not know me yet? Cold hearted toward me? So suddenly it's like she, he listens to her question. Not know me yet? You're still thinking that I'm um, this caricature that you're producing? Don't, don't you know that I'm Cleopatra? And he concedes with cold-hearted towards me. So are you really cold-hearted towards me? Nicole? Yeah, I was going to say that, like, we were talking about how everyone seems to know Antony and his nature. Like, could we say that by contrast, no one really seems to know Cleopatra? So, yeah, that, would, that might be her infinite variety. But her expectation is that Antony will know her, that there is one person Although I think you could say Charmian um, knows her as well. Um, and Iris, um, they, they know her as well. But um, men tend not to know her. But the one man who should know her is Antony. So she's staying his time. And the not know me yet, it, it's got two meanings which are simultaneous. And one is, are you still going to be deceived as to thinking that I'm as low a creature as the one you're attacking now. Um, but the reason for that deception is, how can you not know that, of course, if Phidias comes and suggests a possible way out, I'm not going to reject it out of hand. Of course, I keep my options open. But that's not important. Don't you know that that isn't important? Um, so the thing about Cleopatra is that up until fairly recently, remember we began the course with my quoting you Dr. Johnson on Shakespeare punning, 
Do you remember this? That um, Dr. Johnson says that a quibble was for him, a pun was for him, the fatal Cleopatra for whom he threw away kingdoms and was content to lose them. And um, that for Dr. Johnson is a, um, a criticism of Shakespeare. And the standard reading event in Cleopatra until fairly recently was that Cleopatra was, um, was a seductive, evil figure. Or evil, or, or her seduction caused evil, that she was selfish and that Antony loved her, but that he, um, but that she didn't love him, that she was always out for herself. And um, that would be what Antony is accusing of her now, that she's always looking to maximize her own benefits and none of it comes out of um, reciprocal love for Antony. And um, I think that's just totally wrong. I think that Antony and Cleopatra are the OTP in all of Shakespeare. Um, but I also think that it's important to see that anything you can say against Cleopatra is true, but it doesn't matter. That is, it is part of what it means to be Cleopatra, to always be alert to possibilities um, to always see life as something um, where there are things, there are joys, there are possibilities, there are hopes, there are riches that life offers you, and there are threats to you. And as a character, she never forgets that. Um, so that her love for Antony is in no way the kind of love in which you risk your life for someone else, but it shouldn't be that kind of love. The point about Cleopatra is that she is just such a vital character, the, a, a character you might compare her to, although only in this one respect, but a character you might compare her to is Falstaff. That is, um, she understands, um, she feels the possibilities of life to the fullest. And that's what makes her so amazing. And the greatest of those possibilities for her is Antony. And that's what her love for Antony is. So when she says not know me yet, um, that should also mean something like, and this is, this is on a continuum with the, um, with the other meaning, but it should also mean something like, you know, that I am a, that I'm Epicurean, that I maximize pleasure at every moment. In fact, that's what you said at the beginning of the play. There's not a minute of our lives should stretch without some pleasure now. That the maximization of pleasure and the minimization of pain, um, that for me is what it means to live a vibrant and joyous life or to attempt to live a vibrant and joyous life. And you are the greatest of those joys, but, but you know that that's the person I am. And I'm proud of being that kind of person. And I'm proud of the fact that you love me for being that kind of person. So here what I'm doing is giving you just a whole lot of um, ventriloquization of Cleopatra, but I think that's how to understand her character, that um, everything you can say negatively about her and that people for 400 years did say negatively about her. All of those things are true. 
but they're positive, not negative. Even the negative ones are positive. And that's what we're about to see. Nicole. Um, I think like in many ways you could say that the people that are like obsessing about all of the negatives of Cleopatra are like a lot of the characters in the text who like are constantly calling her all of these like really demeaning terms and they're obsessing over all of her faults because they can't get over how amazing she is maybe. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Okay, so let's get to the end of the scene. Um, so not know me yet, she says. Anthony, pick up from there. Line 163. Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> cold hearted toward me. Ah, dear, if I be so, from my cold heart let heaven engender hail and poison it in the source, and the first stone drop in my neck. As it determines so dissolve my life, the next Caesarean smite, till by degrees the memory of my womb, together with my brave Egyptians all, by the discandian of this pelleted storm, my graveless till the flies and gnats of Nile have buried them for prey. So notice all those third person imperatives. If I am cold hearted, let heaven engender hail. That is from the coldness of my heart, let ice form, let heaven engender hail. But of course you should also hear heaven and hell there um, and poison it in the source. Let the hail be poison and let it hit me and poison me and dissolve my life. Let my son Caesarian die if I'm cold hearted. Let all my children die. Let all my brave Egyptians die by the discandying, that is the melting of this hailstorm. Um, let them all lie graveless till the flies and gnats of Nile have buried them for prey. And then notice in a single line, which means that Antony doesn't have to think a moment about what she says. You all know that when a line is, or I will remind you that when a line is divided between two speakers, um, so the line is, have buried them for prey, I am satisfied, um, but there's no pause. So boom, Antony. Uh, I am satisfied. Caesar sets down in Alexandria where I will oppose his fate. Our force by land hath nobly held, our severed navy too have knit again and fleet, threatening most sea-like. Where hast thou been, my heart? Dost thou hear, lady? If from the field I shall return once more to kiss these lips, I will appear in blood. I and my sword will earn our chronicle. Go on. Uh, there's hope in, in it yet. So, That's my... so he's just um, he's satisfied immediately. Um, all she has to do is um, say that she's not cold hearted towards him and he gets her. Now he knows her. And now he's saying, there'll be another battle. I'm, I'm ready for it. We're still ready to fight by land. Cleopatra. That's my brave Lord. Anyone remember the Tempest? There's a great interchange between um, Ariel and Prospero. Um, Prospero says, that's my delicate Ariel. And um, Ariel responds, that's my master. That's my brave master. So that's that a boy. Um, that's my brave lord. Okay, Antony. I will be treble sinewed, hearted, breathed, and fight maliciously. For when mine hours were nice and lucky, men did ransom lives of me for jests. 
but now I'll set my teeth and send to darkness all that stopped me. Come, let's have one other gaudy night. <laughs> Call to me all my sad captains. Fill our bowls once more. Let's mock the midnight bell. So um, very famous lines. Come, let's have one other gaudy night. So um, let's party one more time. Uh, there's actually a, um, I think it's in Cambridge, there's a tradition called Gaudy Night, which is um, when everyone parties in the spring term. Um, and it comes from this, let's have one other gaudy night. And then my sad captains, uh, great phrase. And Tom Gunn, the uh, poet who died maybe five or 10 years ago, a great um, 20th and 21st century poet, um, has a book called My Sad Captains. Um, another great phrase, Let, let's mock the midnight bell, Cleopatra. It is my birthday. I thought to have held it poor, but since my Lord is Antony again, I will be Cleopatra. So there they are. So it's her birthday and she thought, okay, no partying, but here's Antony being himself. Since my Lord is Antony again, and so she's being herself. Remember he said, what's the name of she there um, since she was Cleopatra? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <coughs> there, you don't have to worry. I sneezed into my elbow. So you guys are fine. Um, since she was, um, now she will be Cleopatra. And in a way, that's the moment where they come together. Since my Lord is Antony again, I will be Cleopatra. Here they are. This is the center, title center of the play. Since my Lord is Antony again, I will be Cleopatra. Antony? Uh, we will yet do well. All his noble captains to my Lord. Do so, we'll speak to them. And tonight I'll force the wine peep through their scars. Come on, my that they'll, that they'll, um, that wine will perfuse through all the scars they got in the fight. Um, come on, my queen, there's sap in it yet. The next time I do fight, I'll make death love me, for I will contend even with his pestilence sit. Side. Side. Well, she's, she's, he's gonna be able to fight with death as well, um, or uh, that is fight with death on his side. Death and I will have a contest to see how many more people, who, who kills more people in the enemy? Um, is it death or is it me? Which is a weird thing to say, but that's the, um, uh, the logic of what he's saying. And now, Ina Barbus, you're left on stage alone. Now he'll outstare the lightning. To be furious is to be frighted out of fear, and in that mood, the dove will peck the estridge, and I see still a diminution in our captain's brain, restores his heart. When, va when valor preys on reason, it eats the sword it fights with. I will seek some way to leave him. Okay, so Ina Barbas had said earlier that he, uh, in the scene, that he would stay loyal to Antony, even though it was probably a mistake. But now he says, okay, Antony is... Um, suddenly all brave again, but that's fury. That's not um, intelligence on his part. And um, he's just, it's just gonna cause him to lose some more. And then that moment, and this should really feel shocking, even though it's been slightly prepared for, um, I will seek some way to leave him. It's like Horatio deciding that he can't be loyal to Hamlet anymore. 
or Kent deciding that he can't be loyal to Lear anymore. So here Shakespeare has taken the friend character. Um, Banquo would, um, of course, is, is the um, most obvious connection in this course. Um, and the friend character is the one who is abandoning his friend. Um, as you will see, um, there is a Satan character in this play as well. That is a figure who stays with Antony even after Enobarbus leaves him. Um, there's another character who will stay loyal to him. And um, again, I think that Shakespeare is, is doing two variations of that breakup between best friends, Banquo and Macbeth, although Macbeth is the one who's the traitor there, but the breakup between best friends and then another friend so that he's not entirely friendless, even when Enobarbus, who's great, who gets Antony, who loves Antony, nevertheless leaves him. Um, there's more about Enobarbus. Enobarbus will leave him, um, but um, that's not the end of the story of Enobarbus. Elvi. I don't quite get why Enobarbus is um, leaving Antony, because, well, I mean, Antony is suddenly being brave again, and he's prepared to fight again, so he's being Antony again. So shouldn't Enobarbus be more supportive uh, instead of leaving him? So what he's, what he's seeing is that Antony um, is that that Antony is now in a situation where he's going to fight furiously um, and believes that he can win. But Enobarbus, who is um, much more clear-sighted about the situation, thinks there's no hope and that this is just going to be a disastrous military encounter, that what Antony should be doing is surrendering um, and maybe running away, but what he shouldn't be doing is thinking that um, vastly outgunned and outmanned as he is, that he can um, now attack Caesar and have a hope to win. Um, that's frequently what happens in, um, in wars, is that um, the losing side gets desperate and part of the content of that desperation, part of the way that they're desperate, is to think that now they can go wild. Um, now they're no longer going to hold back. Um, it's standard strategy. Um, it, it's um, the, you know, if you think of strategy in any fight, that is to say a fight between two people, uh, strategies, boxer strategies, fencer strategies, do any of you fence? Um, really? Oh, yeah, I think I knew that, um, Matthew. And remind me what weapon? I do foil and epee and a bit of saber, but not really. <laughs> yeah, well, um, um, so in fencing, the idea is to um, get the other person um, to start being more aggressive. And because when they're aggressive, they leave themselves open. They, they decide, okay, no more of this. Now I'm really gonna win. And if you can get the other person to be less 
um, cautious about parrying, less cautious about not putting themselves in danger, um, they leave themselves open. And so part of the psychological strategy of fencing is to get the other person to um, think that if they get more aggressive, they will be, um, they, they will start um, landing touches. Same with boxing. That is, you um, try to get the other boxer to come after you and therefore to leave themselves open to, um, um, to, to being hit back, um, to repost in fencing. And that's a military strategy in general. Is, is, uh, it, and in fact, this may be the reason that the Parthians are mentioned um, several times in the play, because that's precisely Parthian strategy is, is um, um, uh, tactical retreat is what it's called. And what tactical retreat is, is getting the other side to come after you thinking that the more energetically they do so, the more confident that they are that they'll beat the odds. And um, it's that very confidence that makes them behave wildly and allows the Parthians while they're retreating to destroy those who are, uh, who are chasing them. Um, so Enobarbus sees this and he's unhappy that Antony seems to have forgotten this, that Antony, um, uh, that Antony's um, very experienced um, sense of warfare seems to be deteriorating um, under the pressure of the loss that he has just undergone. Okay, we will pick up with um, Act Four. Is Act is Act Four, Scene One? Is it the same for everyone? Are you all on Act Four, Scene One now? For for um, next week. Okay, we will pick up then on Tuesday. Uh, have a good weekend and um, see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.